Tanisan and the Army of the Revolutionary Plankton Tanisan had a cousin called Nobuchan, who was currently away on his special five-year holiday for fraud. So every now and then she would take a train to the tiny fishing village of Misaki in Chiba Prefecture, where he kept a cottage that had been happily overlooked by the taxman. Being such a kind and generous person, she'd agreed to keep an eye on the place during his absence, which basically meant checking the mail, airing the rooms and making sure that any small maintenance jobs were taken care of. That aside, these occasional trips to the seaside came as a welcome break to the hustle and bustle of city life. She particularly enjoyed paddling about in the surf and watching crabs. Or perhaps I should say throwing stones at crabs and then calmly gauging their reactions. Call it an experiment. Anyway, one day she was down on the beach collecting pretty shells when she happened to notice a group of boys who were tormenting a little turtle by poking it with a stick. This made her very angry, for Tanisan hated bullying of any kind, obviously. So she immediately grabbed great handfuls of pebbles and proceeded to pelt the little sadists with such ferocity that they soon gave up and ran away, crying for their mothers. Luckily, the poor bewildered creature was unhurt, so Tanisan crouched down beside it and turned it back over onto its stomach. There you go, she cooed as she gently stroked the top of its head. Safe and sound. Oh, thank you, thank you, said the turtle. I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't come along. Died, probably, said Tanisan. Is there anything else I can help you with? Oh, uh, no, thank you, came the reply. You've already done enough. With that, the little turtle smiled gratefully and began making her way towards the surf. Oh, before you go, Tanisan suddenly called out, can I ask you one question? Yes, I think we all know by now that whenever Tanisan said that, it was never actually going to end there. Indeed, there are certain saints and angels who would definitely back me up on that point. But the turtle was an innocent. Oh, uh, yes, of course, said the little reptile, looking back. Go ahead. When will the big turtle be coming? Beg pardon? The big turtle, like in the story? The story that Tanisan was referring to was the famous Japanese legend of Arashima Taro, in which a fisherman rescues a turtle and is rewarded with a visit to Ryogo-jo, the undersea palace of the dragon god. To do this, he's given gills by a second larger turtle, which then explains that the creature he rescued was in fact Princess Otohime the daughter of the Emperor of the Sea. The small turtle, the princess herself presumably, gave an apologetic shrug. Oh, she said, well, I'm afraid we don't really do that any more. How do you mean? asked Tanisan, who was clearly disappointed. Naturally, there was nothing she would have liked better than to swim about the palace precincts with the bream, the sea cucumbers and the anglerfish. Well, said the princess, because it all went so very badly wrong last time, we decided that if such a situation were to arise again, a simple thank you would suffice. Tanisan frowned. Well, that's one way of looking at it, I suppose, she said. You should always say please and thank you. But is it enough, I wonder? I would have thought so, yes, the little princess not unreasonably concluded. Ah, but is it, though, persisted Tanisan. What I mean to say is that if a certain person has just rescued another certain person from the clutches of some, oh, I don't know, some horrible little monsters who would have happily spent the better part of the morning poking them with sticks, for example, 
Well, then the second person might actually want to demonstrate her gratitude to the first person, uh, perhaps even to the point of showing her the wonder of the undersea world and feeding her with all sorts of tasty and exotic dishes. There was a short and uncomfortable silence. Um, look, said the tiny turtle, pointing to the sea, I really don't know what else I can say to you, so I'm just going to go now. Tanisan's frown deepened. For once in her life she was genuinely perplexed and didn't know what to do next. So she merely continued to watch the little creature as it waddled off into the water. But then just as it was about to up stumps and swim away, she marched over and picked it up by the shell. Oh, no, 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 she said. I don't think you should go anywhere until we've had a chance to sort this out properly. I mean, fair's fair. What are you doing? asked the princess, waving her little legs in the air. Put me down this instant. This is ridiculous. What can you possibly hope to achieve? Nonetheless, Tanisan remained silent and grim as she carried the struggling amphibian all the way up the beach to Nobuchan's cottage. The reason she didn't say anything was because she wouldn't have been able to answer the turtle's questions even if she'd wanted to, for the truth was she had no idea where she was going with this. A few minutes later, the unfortunate reptile found herself being plonked into a plastic bucket filled with tap water. Hardly protocol for a member of the Imperial family. Well, that's just marvellous, she spluttered as she bobbed back up to the surface. So now what? Well, said Tanisan, it seems to me that we have to find a mature and sensible way of resolving our differences. At some point, one of us is going to have to back down. You start. What? Why me? asked the princess. Because you're the one who got us into this mess. If you hadn't run into those boys, I wouldn't have had to rescue you, and none of this would have happened. Yes, but the answer lies entirely in your hands. Can't you see that? All you have to do is to accept my thanks with some degree of dignity and graciousness. Forget it, said Tanisan. That's never going to happen. Well, I can't invite you to the palace and that's all there is to it. Can't or won't? Can't, said the princess. It's out of my hands. Out of your flippers, don't you mean, corrected Tanisan. All right, if you insist. It's out of my flippers. After Arashimataro, a new law was introduced, forbidding any human to enter the palace. This was then ratified by the Grand Privy Council of Invertebrates. The what? asked Tanisan in disbelief. The Grand Privy Council of Invertebrates, an executive body made up of jellyfish, sponges, sea slugs, limpets and krill. In our world, most of the top jobs are held by invertebrates. Yes, said Tanisan, it's the same here, but I really don't see why we need to concern ourselves with the opinions of a few puny slugs and jellyfish. I could just tread on them. It wouldn't be the first time. Perhaps not, but you shouldn't underestimate the power of the Privy Council, warned the princess. Why? asked Tanisan. What are they going to do? Slime on me? It's not what they can do, it's their influence. They have the ear of the Emperor, and he has the power to summon up a typhoon or a tsunami. Tanisan gave an irritated sigh. Well, in that case, we'll just have to persuade them, she said, having never previously envisaged any scenario in which she would find herself attempting to win the favour of a slug. How do we get in contact with these clammy invertebrates? The princess looked up at her and said nothing. Well, urged Tanisan. Well, there is one way, Otohime said. Do you still have those seashells on you? Tanisan delved into her pocket for the shells that she collected on the beach. 
Among them, there was a lovely pink hermit crab shell, three conches, two scallops, and a large nautilus. There, said the princess, pointing with her flipper, that scallop, pick it up and put it to your ear. Tanisan did so, but then very quickly started to get impatient, just as she did with any gadget if it didn't instantly perform the way she wanted it to. First, she gave an exasperated groan and shook it violently. Then she started banging it against the edge of the table. No dialing tone, she grumbled. You stupid piece of seashore telephony. How do I get an outside line? Gently, gently, implored the princess. You have to respect technology. Of course there's no dialing tone. You haven't said the magic words yet. Well, what are they then? asked Tanisan grumpily. Repeat after me said the princess. Chi-chin, pui-pui. Tanisan glowered at her. Is that supposed to be a joke, she said. Not if you want to get through to the Privy Council. That's what you have to say. Chi-chin, pui-pui. But that's just silly, said Tanisan. What's wrong with moshi-moshi? Oh, well, yes, of course, because that makes so much more sense, doesn't it? Now, do you want to make this call or not? Tanisan gave a fretful tut. But then, having thought it through... She grudgingly repeated the four nonsense words, and as soon as she did so, a tinny fanfare burst from the scallop. Uh, you are now through to the PCI hotline, said a strange, bubbly voice. If you are a plankton and wish to register a complaint about the recent 3% increase in food quotas for shrimp and lobster, say one. If you would like further information on yesterday's oil spill in the North Atlantic, say two. For any other inquiries, say three. Three, said Tanisan. There was a pause. Here are those options again, resumed the voice. If you are a plankton and wish to register... Three, repeated Tanisan. Another pause. I'm sorry, caller, but your answer has not been recognised. I'll give you those options once again. If you are a plankton... Of course I'm not a stupid plankton, shouted Tanisan. Three! This time, the pause was slightly longer. I'm very sorry, caller, said the voice, but we are still having difficulty processing your request. Please hang up and try again. Your call is very important to us. This was more than Tanisan could bear. As far as she was concerned, she'd been more than reasonable up to that point. So just to balance it out, she then did something that was rash and impulsive. That's it, she said. I've had enough of this nonsense. If you ever want to see your princess again, call me back immediately. And with that, she slammed down the scallop. What are you doing? asked the princess, gazing up at her from her plastic bucket. I thought you were only supposed to be persuading them. Now they're going to think that I'm in some sort of danger. Well, said Tanisan, I suppose, technically. However, she never got a chance to finish that sentence, for just then the scallop began to ring. A soft, mournful sound, like distant whale song. Hello, yes, said Tanisan, putting it to her ear. Oh, uh, hello, came a rather thin and reedy voice. Is this the lady who called a moment ago? It is. Ah, right. Well, now, the thing is... Never mind all that, said Tanisan. Can I ask you one question? Oh, uh, yes, I suppose so. Are you a slug? she asked. Sorry? Are you a slug? asked Tanisan. Well, no, since you ask. I'm a squid, actually. A squid, you say? Here, Tanisan put her hand over the scallop and turned to Otohime. They've only sent a squid to do a slug's job, she complained. Isn't that typical? She then went back to the squid again. So how do I know you're not lying, she asked. What? 
How do I know you're not lying? repeated Tennyson. For all I know, you could be a shrimp, or a barnacle, or a blobfish. You could even be a sea gooseberry who's only pretending to be a squid for reasons of national security. That's well within the realms of possibility. Well, what does it matter what I am? asked the baffled cephalopod. Tanisan tutted. Don't you know anything, she said. The first rule of any negotiation is to establish trust. And if I'm to trust you, then I need to know that you are who you say you are. Well, that's all very well, said the squid. But how am I supposed to prove it over the shellophone? Easy, said Tanisan. How many arms do you have? Eight, of course, said the squid. Eight arms and two tentacles. Agreed, said Tanisan. There was a silence. Is that it? asked the squid. No, of course not, said Tanisan. Everyone knows that. She then fell silent again, as she endeavoured to think of a more exacting way of testing the creature's claim. OK, she then said, if you are a squid, stick one arm up each nostril. Uh, not possible, I'm afraid, came the reply. Why not? asked Tanisan. Because I don't have any nostrils. All right, said Tanisan. Stick one in each ear hole, then. No ear holes, either. Sorry to disappoint. No nostrils, no ear holes, complained Tanisan. Not exactly brimming with equipment, are you? Tell me about it, said the mollusk. Short changed by evolution and bald to boot. Story of my life. So what about a bottom hole? Ah! remarked the squid. Now there's an inquiry you don't get every day. I imagined it was just that sort of fundamental question that God must have asked himself while seated at the drawing board. Yes, said Tanisan, I agree. Which leads me to think that you must have a bottom hole. Dogs have bottom holes. Cats have bottom holes. Even a worm has a bottom hole. Indeed, agreed the squid. Wasn't it Einstein who said that? I believe so, said Tanisan. In the world as I see it, I think. So how about it, then? There was another silence. So let me get this straight, reiterated the squid. What you're asking me to do is to stick my arm up my bottom hole. If it's not too much trouble, said Tanisan. And this will somehow resolve the situation in which we now find ourselves. Yes, said Tanisan, who couldn't understand the squid's reservations. The prompt insertion of either arm or tentacle into your posterior orifice will expedite the safe return of Princess Otohime. I really don't see how it could be any more straightforward. Hmm, mused the sceptical mollusk. Well, I, I can't quite see it myself, but if it's going to save lives... So then there were various groaning and grunting noises at the other end of the line. Is it up yet? inquired Tanisan after a suitable interval. Yes, said the squid. Just about. So with ten limbs in total and one up your bottom hole, how many limbs are free? asked Tanisan. Eight, said the squid. Correct, said Tanisan. You can remove it now. Which the uncomfortable cephalopod then did. For those of you who attempted to question that calculation, Tanisan's rationale was as follows. If the caller had been a gooseberry or a blobfish that was only pretending to be a squid, it would have undoubtedly given her the obvious answer, nine, while failing to take into account the other limb that was holding on to the shellophone. A real squid, on the other hand, would automatically factor that into its response. There you are, you see. Seamless logic. Anyway, said the squid, now that we've been properly introduced, I'll need you to provide me with some proof that you have the princess and that she's alive and well. Tanisan held the scallop to the turtle's head. He wants to know if you're alive and well, she explained. Yes, said the bored princess, speaking directly into the shell. Fine. Did you get that? 
asked Tanisan, putting the shell back to her own ear. Yes, said the squid, I did. So what are your demands? Tanisan put a hand over the mouthpiece and turned back to her hostage. What are my demands again? she softly inquired. The freedom of the imperial palace, whispered Otohime, and various kinds of dishes. Oh yes, said Tanisan, a private tour of the palace and all sorts of dishes, particularly chocolate cake. Oh, and turkey slices. And if I don't get them, she added, I shall be forced to prepare a feast of my own. And the main dish on the menu will be Princess Otohime's soup. Take that message back to your masters. You have one hour to decide. Once again, she slammed down the shellophone, so pleased with herself for having come up with that final dramatic flourish that she had a big grin on her face. Why on earth did you say that? asked the princess. You just keep making it worse. To show them that we mean business said Tanisan. We? What's we got to do with it? You just threatened to turn me into soup. Well, it felt like the right thing to say, said Tanisan. I'm a very intuitive person. I like to improvise and go with the flow. Yes, but you're not actually going to go through with it, are you? asked the turtle. Tanisan frowned. Well, I've said it now, and I'd look a bit silly if I tried to back out of it, wouldn't I? <laughs> no, you wouldn't, the princess was quick to point out. You wouldn't look silly at all. It will be seen as a sign of great wisdom and humanity. In fact, I'm a 100% certain that the emperor would honour you with an invitation to the palace just for being so merciful to his beloved daughter. I don't know, said Tanisan doubtfully. It sounds like you're trying to manipulate me. No, I'm not, insisted the princess. Really, I'm not. Well, all I'm saying is that it sounds like it to me, said Tanisan. With that, she went over to the rickety wooden bookshelf in the corner and took down a large, dusty volume. Holding it out in front of her, she waddled back to the table and set it down with a loud thud next to the seashells that she collected on the beach. "'What's that?' asked the princess, eyeing it suspiciously over the rim of her bucket. "'A book,' said Tanisan, as she reached for her glasses. "'I can see that,' said the princess, who then leant forward to get a better view. "'What kind of a book?' Tanisan pulled it closer towards her. An interesting book, she said. Yes, but why are you looking at it now? What? Why are you looking at it now? repeated the princess. Well, what's wrong with that? said Tanisan. We've got an hour to kill before the squid calls back, so I thought I'd use the time to catch up on my reading, thank you. She licked the tip of her index finger and began to leaf through the dog-eared pages. So what's the story? asked the princess. Tanisan gave an impatient sigh. There isn't one, she said. It's not that type of book. There was a silence. So what type is it then? asked Otohime. Tanisan said nothing. Is it a history book? No, said Tanisan. A biography? No, said Tanisan. Well, is it one of those books that... Without looking up, Tanisan reached out with one hand, took the princess's head between thumb and forefinger and shut her mouth. She'd found the page that she was looking for. Ah, yes, she said. Here we go. One large pot with lid, carrots, onions, cloves, bay leaf, black pepper and salt. Cut the turtle's head off with one quick blow, then plunge the head and body into a pan of very cold water. Once the bleeding has stopped, you are going to cook me, declared the distraught princess. Tanisan took off her glasses and eyed her companion irritably. You know, it's very rude to keep interrupting people when they're trying to concentrate. I almost feel that I have to cook you now just to teach you a lesson. But I don't want to be turned into turtle soup, whined Otohime. 
Well, you should have thought of that before you came waltzing up the beach this morning as nice as you please. What were you doing there anyway? Laying eggs? No, said the tearful princess. I just needed a change of scene. Otohime gave a sniff and wiped her eyes with the side of her flipper. I just wish I could make you understand, she said. The undersea world isn't what you think it is. It's not some watery utopia where the shark and the shrimp live in harmony, but an evil regime presided over by a cruel and despotic emperor. The description you read in Arashimataro is pure propaganda from start to finish. Take it from me, it came as no surprise to anyone when the fisherman wanted to leave. If you want to know the truth, he couldn't get away quick enough. At this, Tanisan frowned. Do you mean to tell me there were no crabs and lobsters playing the biwa and the koto? No, said the princess. No octopus playing the drums? Not at all, said the princess. As I recall, the sum total of the entertainment on that occasion was a small haddock attempting a version of When You're Smiling while a trembling crayfish accompanied him on the spoons. That was only because the emperor had threatened to set the dolphins on them. So what about the delicious banquet of delicacies gathered together from the seven seas? Oh, well, yes, admitted the princess. They did try to put on a bit of a spread for him. But let's face it, there's only so much coral soup and seagrass that a person can reasonably be expected to digest without experiencing severe repercussions from the lower regions, if you, uh, if you follow my meaning. That was all a lie, then, concluded a very disgruntled Tanisan. Every word, said the princess. That's just what I've been trying to tell you. The undersea world is not a nice place. Not at all. The Emperor and the Privy Council exercised absolute control of the food chain, regulating the feeding habits of all living creatures, from the largest blue whale right down to the tiniest phytoplankton. Any animal that dares to go against them is punished, either by being denied access to its natural food source or by becoming food itself. Now, for all Tanisan's foibles, she had a very clear sense of fairness, so the idea of a few squishy invertebrates lording it over all the other creatures in the sea made her very angry indeed. Well, I must say, she remarked, the more I hear about this underwater setup of yours, the less I like it. With that, she grabbed the nearest thing that came to hand, an empty coffee cup, and smashed it on the floor. Princess Otohime peered over the edge of her bucket at the broken pieces, both surprised and emboldened by Tanisan's reaction. The ones that I feel sorry for are the plankton, she said. They suffer more than anyone because they're right at the bottom of the pile. Yet all the other animals depend on them. Oh, well, yes, agreed Tanisan. I often ponder that myself. I might be attending the funeral of a friend or relative, for example, or listening to my neighbour go on about her children when the issue of the plankton will suddenly occur to me. What on earth is going on with the plankton, I ask myself? Why do they drift around so stupidly rather than doing something to help themselves? They're their own worst enemies, the mixotrophic idiots. But it's not their fault, is it? said Otohime. They can't swim, so they're sitting ducks for any predator that happens to come along. Well, in that case, somebody ought to teach them, said Tanisan. She then had an idea. You should teach them, she said. What? You should teach them, said Tanisan, surprising herself. Yes, you should teach the plankton to swim and lead them to freedom. Now, while the princess was rather taken aback by this suggestion, she was not entirely averse to it. So far, all that had ever been required of her as a minor member of the imperial family was to sit about at state functions, looking pretty and smiling at people. 
Admittedly, she'd once lent her support to an ocean-wide charity event for orphaned whelks, but how she longed to do something bigger with her life and make a difference. So, um, what would that achieve? She inquired, trying not to look too interested. Two things, said Tanisan, thinking it through. One, it would give the empty-headed plankton some control over their lives instead of floating around pointlessly. And two, it would take all the power away from the emperor and those disgusting invertebrates. Think about it. If the plankton could swim away, the entire food chain would collapse and there would be wholesale rebellion among the animals. But for that to work, they would have to be completely removed from the equation, spirited away to some remote place. I know the very spot said the princess, no longer able to contain her enthusiasm. Futagawiwa, the twin rocks. I often go there when I want to be alone. Good, said Danisan, nodding wisely. That sounds perfect. The princess was pleased that Tanisan was pleased, but then she seemed to have second thoughts. Ah, she said, but it wouldn't work, would it? The emperor would send his imperial tuna guard to find us. Leave that to me, said Tanisan. I think I might know of a way of stopping them in their tracks. All we need to do is to coordinate our activities. So saying, she picked up the shellophone. And now that I have this, she added, that shouldn't be too difficult, should it? So in no time at all, Tanisan and the princess had gone from kidnapper and hostage to chef and ingredient to unlikely co-conspirators bent on the downfall of the emperor and his vile invertebrates. As they left Nobuchan's cottage and headed back towards the beach, they continued to discuss the details of their plan, which was fine, but then they spent the rest of the time bickering about what they were going to call this fishy insurrection of theirs. Finally, they settled on the army of the revolutionary plankton. Once they'd said their goodbyes and the princess swam off into the surf, Tanisan made her way along the seafront to the harbour where the weather-beaten captain sat about the quayside discussing rudders or whatever it is that fishermen talk about when they're off duty. To put her plan into effect, she would require the services of one of these barnacle-bottomed nautical types. So having weighed up the meagre pickings, she settled on the handsomest skipper there, a tall, rugged character by the name of Uehara. Once she'd put on her glasses to make herself appear more serious, trustworthy and academic, Tanisan proceeded to tell him a whole series of outrageous lies. First, she said that she was a highly qualified and multi-award winning marine biologist who'd been conducting a series of tests into coral distributions in the area and that during the course of these investigations, she had discovered where the best tuna were to be found. She then suggested that for 50% of the profits, she would be willing to share this information with him using a highly specialised and super-powered sonar equipment to track the movement of shoals. And of course, Tanisan being Tanisan, she couldn't resist going that little bit further, adding that as a committed conservationist, she strongly disapproved of his profession. Regrettably, however, her current source of funding was under threat, so she was obliged to obtain other monies in order to continue her vital research. Needs must when the devil drives, as it were. It was such a convincing performance that the captain swallowed it hook, line and sinker. Nevertheless, he did insist on a trial run before committing himself to any kind of business partnership. So then it was simply a question of Tanisan waiting to hear from the princess. The call came in on the shellophone a few days later, 
Somehow or other, and after many false starts, Princess Otohime had finally managed to teach the brainless Prankton how to swim, and had led them out to Futago Iwa, the Twin Rocks, where she was now awaiting the imminent arrival of the Emperor's Imperial Guard. So without delay, Tanisan passed this information on to Captain Uehara, who then charted a course for the rocks, in spite of his misgivings. For it was a well-known fact among the fishermen of the area that no fish had ever been caught around the Twin Rocks. To his immense surprise, he and his crew were rewarded with a bumper catch of bluefin tuna, which fetched an excellent price at Toyoshu Fish Market. And this was only the first of many, for every time Princess Otohime led the plankton to a new location, Captain Uehara and the men of the Kayo Maru were waiting there to intercept her fishy pursuers, thanks to Tanisan's tip-offs. In fact, soon they were having to take on extra boats, just to keep up with the volume. Increasingly desperate to track down the missing plankton, the Emperor sent out his mackerel and herring, his shark, his swordfish and his loyal fusiliers, yet he continued to lose ground in the war of attrition, while back at home there was a growing feeling of unrest. Without that vital bottom link in the food chain, there was nothing for the copepods to eat. This in turn affected the comb jellies, the starfish and the lobsters, all the way up to the sea lion sharks and killer whales. There was even mutterings among the seagulls, who usually just sat on the fence. In the end, though, it was an eccentric British barnacle called Herbert Wilkins who triggered the ultimate downfall of the regime. A leading wit and radical thinker, Wilkins had travelled the world on the bottom of a Norwegian cargo freighter, so he knew a thing or two. For many years now, he had been promoting a system of equality among his fellow crustaceans, while enthusiastically advocating a gradual transition to vegetarianism for all ocean dwellers, which, quite frankly, was a bit, well, mental. Nevertheless, it was Wilkins' arrest by the Emperor's imperial piddocks that led to protests in the palace square, which then turned nasty. A few days later, the Emperor and the Grand Privy Council were forced to withdraw, and so Princess Otohime returned in triumph, leading a proud procession of plankton through the palace precincts to cheering crowds of sea creatures. As for Tanisan, she was quite content for the princess to take all of the credit, for although she didn't get to visit the undersea world on that occasion, she could now afford to indulge in the most tasty and exotic dishes whenever she liked, having ended up, quite unintentionally of course, as the not-so-silent partner in one of Japan's most successful fishing businesses, Tanisan Fisheries. <laughs>